Good afternoon, my dear, dear brothers and sisters. It's a, a joy and a privilege to be here having fellowship in the Lord's presence with my precious brothers and sisters. As you already know from reading the brochure, the focus for our fellowship during these days is spiritual stewardship. And our brother Dana last night shared on being stewards of the manifold grace of God. And our brother Stephen this morning began to share about the stewardship of the mysteries. It has fallen to me to focus our hearts on the matter of the character of God's steward. I tried to go many different directions with this issue of the character of God's steward because you know if you stop and think about it there are many different ways we could seek to approach this matter of the character of a steward. But I finally settled in my heart on this matter of allowing the life of the Apostle Paul to give us some illustrations of what spiritual character is. And then the Lord helping us and the Lord willing uh, tomorrow evening to focus on how in his life spiritual character the character of a steward was developed in his life now again this is a big topic as well and I am always faced with this task of seemingly having too much material to squeeze into a short period of time and many of you have been so gracious to me over the years and have put up with my long-winded sharings, and uh, I don't want to take advantage of you. But when we have a matter in our hearts that is of this magnitude, it's not easy to know where to stop. But before we begin sharing this afternoon, I want to remind us of the spiritual reality of what is happening as we're gathered here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that the only sovereign Lord, the one who is seated at the Father's right hand, who's been given the name that is above every other name, wants to speak to each one of us. He's gathered us here for that purpose. Now, in order for this to happen, my understanding is that the Holy Spirit needs to communicate from the heart of our Lord to our own hearts. Our Lord is always seeking to speak to us heart to heart. And he has something in his heart that's very important to us. We've already heard him speak to us on two previous occasions regarding this matter of stewardship. And he wants to speak to us once again this afternoon. Now the way he has chosen to do it is that by the Holy Spirit, through a human vessel, speaking human words, but yet speaking his own word to our hearts. Now, dear brothers and sisters, that requires a miracle, especially 
when you consider who the speaker is this afternoon. It requires a miracle. But you know, my dear brother, miracles are not a problem for our Lord. And so we need to be expecting that uh, he will speak to us. Now, I appreciate my dear brother Ed Miller because he reminds us every time we come to a fellowship in the Word of God how absolutely we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, this needs to be something that's real in our hearts. That you're not looking for some information, some human information, some way of tickling your ears. But you're expecting our risen Lord, our exalted Lord, to speak to us. And that has to be done by the Holy Spirit using a human vessel. But there's one other thing that's very, very important. We need to have a listening heart. Now, I know that there are many, many things happening that can be a great distraction to any of us. But I want us to be reminded this afternoon that as we come here to sit at the feet of our exalted Lord, that we need to take the grace of God and hear what he has to say with the understanding that we will obey what he speaks to our hearts. It will be of no value to him and very little value to us if we hear and don't become doers of what he says. So brothers and sisters, in a very sober, solemn way, let's put ourselves before our Lord, expecting him to speak and with us having a desire and the intention to put into practice what he speaks to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do acknowledge that our Heavenly Father has placed you in the highest position in the universe. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to you. You are the only sovereign Lord. And we are so overwhelmed this, this afternoon to realize in our own hearts we can call you our Lord. And we want you to be the Lord of this gathering this afternoon. We want that by your Holy Spirit you would give control, take control of what is happening. And Lord, that you would enable by the anointing of your Holy Spirit a human vessel to be the vessel through which you would speak and speak to our hearts. Oh, blessed Lord, please touch our hearts so that we don't miss what it is that you're saying. And grant to every one of us that measure of grace that will enable us to seek to put into practice what you speak to us. Lord Jesus, we're so, so privileged to be here this afternoon and seated in your presence. And as we have often heard others pray and have prayed ourselves, Lord, speak because your servants are listening. And we ask it in your name. Amen. The character of a steward. Now, our brothers have already shared with us what is a steward. And I'd like for us to look at some verses in 2 Timothy 
that I trust will also help us to become clear about this matter of being a steward. I don't think it's complicated. I'm just not sure that we have spent the, the time to try to get clear about this matter of being stewards. So in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others also. Now, in Paul's speaking to Timothy and writing to Timothy, he encouraged him to take the truths that had been made real to himself and entrust them to faithful men. Now, what I think we have here is a simple explanation of what it means to be a steward, is that something has been entrusted to us with which we need to be faithful. And so what I want to say to us in the very beginning is that this matter of being trustworthy, having things entrusted to us, is what our brother said to us this morning. It's not for a few people. And so it applies to everyone who has ever come to have an experience with our Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. So brothers and sisters, there are a number of scriptures that I feel like can underline this issue. We remember, for instance, in Romans chapter 12, that Paul mentions that each one has received a measure of faith. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he says that all of us, each of us, has received a manifestation of the Spirit. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, he says that each of us has received a measure of grace. And then this verse that our brother Dana called our attention to last night in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, that we have all received a special gift as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, dear brothers and sisters, please see that our God has been so faithful to supply every one of us with what we need in order to fulfill our responsibilities. And so I don't want us to somehow check out and say, well, this sharing on the matter of the character of a steward, somehow I'm, I'm left out of the picture. It's not true. You're very much in the center of the picture. And whether or not you are willing to face it and do something about it does not change the fact that one day, all by yourself, you will have to stand before your Lord and you will have to give an account of what you have done with what you have been given. There are no exceptions. An appointment has been made and you can't cancel this appointment, brother. You, all by yourself, are going to have to stand before him, the sovereign Lord, and you're going to have to give an account to him with what you have done 
with what he has given to you. You've been given a measure of faith. You have been given a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You have been given a measure of grace. And you have been given a special gift, each one. And so every one of us need to be, be interested in knowing the importance of being good stewards of what God has graciously given to us. Now I want us to read also some other verses in 2 Timothy. Again, going to chapter 2. And let's look at uh, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves a proof to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now here, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying it in my understanding in a different way, a little different way. He's saying that we are to be workmen who do not need to be ashamed. In other words, if God in his great love and mercy has placed in our hands a responsibility, then we need to find a way to discharge that responsibility. And here, Paul, in speaking to Timothy, refers to these people as workmen. Now, sisters, please don't excuse yourself because it doesn't say work women. It means the same thing, that you have a work to do. A job has been given to us. A responsibility had been placed in our lives and we are to be the kind of workmen that are not ashamed. That is that when we have to stand before our Lord, we won't need to bow our head in shame. But we can stand there with confidence. If we learn how to be good stewards, we can stand there with confidence and hear those blessed words, well done thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little things. This is where we need to learn, my brothers and sisters. Because sometimes we think that the little things are not important. But my dear brothers and sisters, if we are, if we are irresponsible in the little things, there's a good chance they were also irresponsible in the greater things as well. So why does the Lord put these little things, so to speak, in our lives. It's a training time. He doesn't entrust us with the, you know, the, the, the what can we say, the things that could bring devastation in the beginning. But he entrusts us with that ability that we have. And he expects us to be faithful and to discharge this responsibility without being ashamed. And so it's important that we see ourselves as stewards, as workmen, as men and women and young brothers and sisters who have a work to do, a job that needs to be done. Almost all of you here have a, a job that you go to. At least you have some responsibility. Even if you're still in school, you have a responsibility. And if you don't do a good job in the world, chances are you're not going to have your job very long. Well, our God is much more merciful than that. But that doesn't mean that we can overlook this appointment that we have. 
that we be able to come and stand in his presence, expecting to hear those words to our own hearts. And then I want us to look in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 21. We have already looked at 2, 15, 2 and 15, and now we want to look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now here, Paul is referring to these same people, these, these stewards, as vessels for honor. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, when we stop and seriously look at what God is doing and who it is that he's using to do it, it's an amazing thing. It's what our brother said this morning. My dear brothers and sisters, there is not one person in this meeting or one person who has ever lived who is qualified to be a steward of the living God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just like he says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, how did he start off? He started off with those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And as you go further down in that chapter 2 of Ephesians, it comes to verse 10, where he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should be involved in fulfilling them. Now, I had to be careful because time is going to get away from me. But my brothers and sisters, I feel like I need to share this. Something that has become so precious in my own heart the last couple of years. This word workmanship that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship. The word in the original is the word poema, from which we get the word poem. Some translations say we are his masterpiece. Brothers and sisters, we need to give some serious consideration to this. Think about it. That as the church, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, those who were in violation of what God wanted for their lives, he laid hold of them by his love, and now they become his masterpiece. It's like a, a great poet or a great artist or a great architect. He's able to, they're able to accomplish some great work of a poem or a piece of art or a ar piece of architecture, a building. And he is so proud of it. Why? Because it's his masterpiece. Brothers and sisters, we are God's masterpiece. Now think about what did he start out with? I don't know about you. I'm just speaking for myself. But the Lord had to come to the city dump to find this one. But you know, regardless of where he found me and what I was when he found me, my, the word of God tells me that he's conforming me to the image of his son. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. This is good news. And not just Ernie Heil, but every one of us here. God's objective is to take you and conform you to the image of his son. That when he has finished his work in your life, you'll stand before him 
and he'll say the same thing to you he said to his own son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. How can he say that? Because the very character of his son had been reproduced in our lives. And we have been predestined, brothers and sisters. It's not some dream God has. No, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. That's a strong word, brothers and sisters, especially when you realize who's doing the predestinating. Who's doing the predestining? Predestinating. God, the sovereign God, has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's nothing going to prevent the final product. We can make it difficult and we can postpone the process. But nobody is going to prevent it from happening. Brothers and sisters, there ought to be a hallelujah in every one of our hearts this afternoon. That his everything that's happening in your life, he has one objective in terms of you personally, is that you're going to be conformed to the image of his son. He's going to be able to look at you and see his son formed in you. Now, that's not the masterpiece. It would be a masterpiece in and of itself, but this is not what the word of God says. It says we are his masterpiece. Who's the we? The church, the body of Christ. Because you know why he wants it to be a masterpiece, my brothers and sisters? What is going to happen? Have you read to the end of the book recently? What happens at the end, brothers and sisters? A marriage. A marriage is going to take place. And who's getting married, my brothers and sisters? Who's getting married? Our Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, and who? The church as his bride. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, this wedding is going to be for eternity. Guess what? It has to be perfect. She has to be without spot, blemish, or any such thing. He needs to be able to look at her and see himself fully formed in her. The wedding is not going to take place until this is a reality. So brothers and sisters, this is what I understand Paul is talking about when he says, for we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece. Can I put it this way to us this afternoon? This work that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2 is greater than the work of creation. It's greater than the work of creation. Now you know it's a magnificent creation. Let me just try to illustrate one by one way. Recently in a magazine, I think it was Time magazine, I read an article that they have developed a new telescope. You know how far they can see with this telescope? Maybe I mentioned this last year, did I? Maybe. But I'm so amazed with it. Sorry. How far do you think you can see with this new telescope? 600 trillion trillion miles. And they not, still have not seen the end. Some of these scientists think that the, the creation is an infinite creation. It's endless. Well, whether that's true or not, I don't think, I, personally, I don't think so. But anyhow, that's not the issue. The issue is that this work, God's masterpiece, is greater than his work of creation. 
I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to say something that may be difficult for some of you uh, to receive. This work of the masterpiece of God is greater than his salvation. Why? Because individually we come into an experience of salvation. But we still don't have the masterpiece. God has to take, not only conform every one of us to the image of his son, he has to build us together into a corporate bride that our Lord Jesus can look at and see himself. So brothers and sisters, this is the work our God is doing. And the amazing, amazing, amazing thing is the material he's using and who are his co-workers. <laughs> our dear brother Stephen this morning helped us to see that even though God could have spoken it into being, He's not chosen to do it that way. I don't know how you feel about it, brother, but I rest in that. I rest in God's decision. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not trying to convince him he, he should have done it a different way. But you know what he's done? He's taken flesh and blood human beings like us. Ruined. No hope. Without hope. Enemies of his. Sinners. And he saved us. He's put the life of his son in us. He's conforming us to the image of his son. And he's building us together into this marvelous masterpiece. But that's not the end. We are also to be his co-workers. This is a sovereign decision he's made. That he didn't call you just to be forgiven of your sin. You know what else happened to you the very moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. It didn't require the vote of some committee. You didn't have to go, through a, go to a membership committee and give your doctrinal statement and something of your history and a letter from another church saying he's okay or she's okay. Hallelujah, my brothers and sisters. It was not necessary. God made a sovereign decision to take you as a believer in his son and place you in his body. And with that experience, he gives you a measure of faith, a measure of grace, a gift, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, a special gift. And in the using of that gift, we are accomplishing these good works that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know how you see this, but to me, this is the most amazing thing. When you think of who we are, who we were, and yet God choosing us to be the raw material. And he even had to, how can I say? He had to eliminate what he, what he got and reconstitute something that he couldn't fully receive. So brothers and sisters, being stewards, stewards of our God, taking what has been entrusted to us and by his grace learning how to be faithful, this is our calling, brothers and sisters. This is what God was after when he somehow interrupted your life. 
when he come invading into your life and manifested his great love to you, revealed his son to you, this is what he was after. I know in the beginning. I, I, I have my own testimony, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. 50 years ago this year, I had my initial experience. I hope you'll celebrate with me. Not me, but celebrate his wonderful, wonderful mercy. I can tell you this afternoon, the only reason I'm standing here is by the absolute pure mercy of God. But brothers and sisters, our God had something so magnificent in his heart and mind when he pursued you by his love and you let him catch you. And he began this wonderful process of what the scriptures calls saving us, not just forgiving us of our sin but much, 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 much more. Romans 5, the much more of God by his grace. Well, I can see I'm not getting very far with what I initially had in my heart. But brothers and sisters, the most important thing that I feel like I want to share with you is that I don't want any one of us to go out of this meeting or leaving this time that we're together thinking that there's only a few people who are to be stewards. I want it to be written on your heart and on my heart that you are a steward and you're going to be held accountable. You have to come and stand before him. It's like our Lord told us in Matthew 25. He gave to these three men according to their several ability. He takes into consideration who you are. And he gives you responsibility that by his grace you can fulfill. And sometimes he does things that are beyond anything we could even dream about. Please forgive me for making reference to myself. But when I was a, a student in high school a couple years ago, <laughs> I took a failing grade in English because I refused to get up and stand before the class. I was so afraid of standing up and speaking to a group of people. And then after I got saved, I went back to Pennsylvania for a short period of time before I went off to college. And I got invited to speak at an Oddfellows home, a, a home for retired Oddfellows. Now, maybe some of you don't even know about Oddfellows. It's something like the Masons, but not like the Masons. But anyhow, it's one of those men's organ men and women, family organizations. So they invited me to come and speak. This is my second time to have ever spoken. So I'm trying to share, struggle through, and there's this man sitting in, all the way in the back, and he has a, a horn stuck in his ear. <laughs> hey, young man, will you speak louder, please? Well, you can imagine. I wanted to crawl under the carpet. And then I had one other experience after I went to college. I was invited to share in the assembly where we were going. And, uh, and as I was sharing, I fainted. <laughs> I know some of you are already getting a good idea, huh? But I fainted. Why? Because I was... There's so many of my st uh, fellow students there that I was so afraid. So what I'm saying to you, dear brothers and sisters, don't be put off. Don't disqualify yourself. 
because you happen to have some areas of your life that the Lord has to deal with. He is able. Now, lessons about being stewards from the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to try to do it both today and tomorrow. Today I want to mention the five things that I feel like are the char some of the characteristics of Paul's life that enabled him by the grace of God to be a faithful steward. Let me give them to you and then we can go back and touch on them briefly. First of all, we need to be devoted. Devoted completely to our Lord and to his work. Now, brothers and sisters, please. I'm sharing something that I believe that every one of us, without exception, can begin to have developed in our life. It's not talking about people who have different kinds of functions in the body of Christ. This is for every one of us. Secondly, we need to be motivated. Thirdly, we need to be illuminated. Fourthly, we need to be educated. And finally, we need to be related. So I'll go over them again quickly. Devoted, motivated, illuminated, educated, and related. Now let's go back to the first one. Devoted. Now when I was a, a very young man, there was a very popular song. And I don't remember today whether it was a, a country music or a popular song, but <clears throat> one of the phrases in the song was that this guy was hopelessly devoted to her. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is, what, this is where we need to begin. You and I, and there's nobody can prevent you from doing this. Oh, yes, there is. I'm sorry. There is one person that can prevent you from doing this. And that is for you to be hopelessly devoted to your Lord Jesus Christ. You're the only person that can prevent that from happening. Oh, you may have some interference from different places. But when it comes down to it, you're the only one who can make this decision. And so if you want to learn how to be a good steward and to become a good steward, then this is a necessary step. We'll talk more about it tomorrow as to the process. But brothers and sisters, this is a necessary ingredient, a, a necessary characteristic in the life of those who would be a faithful steward. You need to be devoted to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, many times when he was writing letters to different brothers and sisters in different places, he identified himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is a bondservant? Don't read those words so quickly without stopping and finding out what they mean. You remember in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6, the Lord is giving laws regarding different things, and he gives laws regarding someone who was a slave in a household. And after six years, the law required that they be set free. And so 
He could come to his master and get his freedom. Or he could make another choice. And basically what it says in Exodus 21 is that because I love my master, I want to become his bondservant. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not something that's required from the master. This is a free will offering. It's not necessary for you in order for you to, to do the, have this experience, in order for you to go to heaven. But it's my understanding that if you're going to be a faithful steward, this is a necessary step in our life. Because you love him. You are fully devoted to him. You come and you become a bondservant. And now in, in the Old Testament day, what, what the master would do is this man came, it was his time to be set free. He could go out and take his freedom. But he came to his master and says, because I love you and your household, I don't want to go free. I want to become your bond slave, your bond servant. And he would take this man to the elders of the city, and they would witness this. And then he would, he would take him back home and take a sharp instrument called an awl and would stick it through the lobe of his ear onto the doorpost. We've sung this song sometimes. But you know what this, I, I probably they put a ring in there so it didn't grow closed. But this was to symbolize that for the rest of his life, he chose, because he loved his master, to give up all rights to himself. Before, there were laws regulating masters and servants. But for this man, there were none. He was a love slave to his master. My dear brother and sister, you're the only person that can prevent you from making that decision. You know what our encouragement is. If you expect to stand before your Lord and give an account of your stewardship, then I think this is a very, very necessary step in your life. It means that you understand. You understand what's involved. Involved. It's not somehow that you're just getting some emotional high. You understand. This is a decision to take your life and devote it 100% to your master. Back in the 1970s, uh, there were people who put bumper stickers on their car all over the place. I don't do it so much today. But I remember what I thought was probably the best one I ever saw. And it said, sell out to Jesus. It's the best bargain you'll ever make. Brothers and sisters, think about it. Let's suppose that you decide to be your own master. And you make the decisions about your life and what you're going to do with it, etc., etc. What do you think is going to be the outcome? But there's someone who loves you who wants nothing but the absolute 100% best for you. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants you to discover the real purpose for life. And he has a place of responsibility that he's given you in his work. What do you think is wrong with us coming and becoming a devoted bond servant, love slave to him.
What's wrong with that decision, brothers and sisters? Consider it. The sovereign Lord of the universe. And he wants us to come and give our lives fully to him. Full surrender. And then work this out. In a day-by-day -day experience. Maybe from time to time you need to come back. And maybe some of us here this afternoon need to do this very thing. We need to renegotiate that decision that we made. Some of us made it many years ago, but we allowed other things to come, come into our life and capture our hearts, and we're not being faithful or being a love slave. He's so full of mercy, so full of mercy, brothers and sisters. We can come back and we can renegotiate and get started all over again. And the wonderful, wonderful thing, my brothers and sisters, is he will take those wasted years and somehow turn them for good. According to Romans 8, 28, for he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Think about it. Who else but our blessed Lord could take the stupidities of our life, stupid decisions. Would you agree with me, brothers and sisters, that having made yourself a love slave and then walking away from it, isn't it a stupid decision? Yes, it is. And sometimes we do it because something has happened to, to blind us to what we're doing or we made some other foolish move. But for him to be willing for us to come back and renegotiate this and get it back on the right level again and give your heart 100% to him again. Again, we're the only ones to prevent this from happening. You can allow your pride or your ego or your so-called dreams to stand in the way. Or you can renegotiate your being his love slave. Hopelessly devoted. Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. Very familiar, I'm sure, to most of us. For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us. Having concluded this, now listen carefully. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he who died for all and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, this is a bondservant. It's someone who is no longer living for themselves, but living for him who died for them. This seems to be the only legitimate, reasonable response to such great love. This is our reasonable spiritual service. This is the response that we ought to give. If he so loved us, then this love constrains us to make this kind of decision. 
And dear brother and sister, it doesn't make any difference how old you are or how young you are. I want to make a strong appeal to you if you haven't done this. Then don't let an hour go by until you in your heart make this decision to become a love slave to our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this includes many things. It also includes you and me becoming bond servants to one another. Look in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. Now, brothers and sisters, let's be honest this afternoon. Is this the way you see yourself in relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ? You see yourself as their bondservant? That you give up all your own rights to serve them? Is this the way we see each other? Probably not. But this is included in this decision to become a bondservant. Not only a bondservant to our Lord Jesus Christ, but a bondservant to every one of my brothers and sisters. So you know what that means. <laughs> we have many masters, but we have no servants. You don't have any servants, but you have many masters. Every brother and sister is to be your master, and you're to look upon them as them being your master and you being their bondservant. This is what it included in being a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. Our brother Dana shared last night about John 21, when there at the end, the Lord Jesus was questioning Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I have a great affection for you. But that's not the word the Lord used. He used this matter of agape, sacrificial, lay down your life, becoming a bondservant love. What did the Lord say to him? Feed my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Brothers and sisters, if we want to manifest in practical ways our love for our Lord Jesus, we do it in our serving of our brothers and sisters. So brothers and sisters, we need uh, to get very clear about this. Can you even begin to imagine what a difference it would make in our assemblies? What, it would, what difference it would make in the church in the United States of America if some of us made this decision and then put it into practice? Motivated. What motivated this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle? Well, let's look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. One of the most amazing testimonies I think we will read anywhere. We can't go through it all this afternoon. But I would hope that by our reading this, we could understand what was in the heart of this man. What motivated him? What made him tick? What made him do what he did? So let's look in verses 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost 
in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. What motivated this man? One thing. He wanted to know his Lord. And he wanted to know not just in a mental way, but in a real experiential way, where he talks about gaining Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, how can we gain Christ? Well, this was his, this is what motivated him. He knew that there was an experience of Christ being more fully formed in us. Isn't this what he said to the Galatians? Chapter 4. My, I'm in travail again for you until Christ be formed in you. So brothers and sisters, regardless of how long we have lived, regardless of our experiences, as wonderful as they may be, there's still much more for us to experience. There's much more of our Lord Jesus Christ for us to gain. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that he was commissioned by God to go and preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable, unsearchable, inexhaustible riches of Christ. Think, think about that, that language. Unfathomable, inexhaustible, unsearchable. Can I ask a question? How long does it take to find the unsearchable? What do you think you're going to be doing in eternity? We're going to be discovering more and more of these unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus Christ. But dear brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility now. If our hearts are motivated in this matter of really becoming faithful stewards, then the only way, my brothers, the only way that's possible is if Christ be more fully formed in us, that we gain more of his character, he is the perfect steward, as our brother Stephen mentioned. And the way that you and I are going to become more perfect, more what God wants us to be, is if Christ is more fully formed in us. Is this what you desire? Is this what motivates you? This is what motivated Paul the Apostle. Now, there are other aspects to this, and we don't have time to go into it. But he was awaiting a crown, a crown of righteousness. He says in 2 Timothy 4, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, and now there's awaiting me a crown of righteousness. That is, the Lord can, not a literal crown, but he put a crown on our head that represents the righteousness. So, brothers and sisters, being motivated. And you remember in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, he said, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What was that vision? What, what was this that laid hold of him, apprehended him, captured him? What was it? He saw who our Lord Jesus Christ is. He is a sovereign, only sovereign in the universe. 
So we need to let the Holy Spirit check out our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Thirdly, illuminated, and I've already mentioned to it, mentioned it about this vision that Paul had in Acts chapter 9 and Acts 22 and Acts 26 that he talks about. But you remember in Galatians chapter 1, Paul says it pleased God to reveal his son in him. Brothers and sisters, we need to we need to let the Holy Spirit, we need to pay whatever price we need to pay by the grace of God so that the eyes of our hearts can be opened to see who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And if we see him, then we will find some wonderful things happening inside of us. At least some wonderful options are there. And so... This beginning revelation was just that. It was a beginning. But it had progression to it. How did, he, didn't, he didn't have a full understanding in Acts chapter 9 of the unsearchable riches of Christ. But the more he was obedient to what he already saw, the more the eyes of his heart was opened for him to see more and more and more of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, because of the greatness of the revelation, <laughs> he was lifted up into the third heaven. He saw things that was unlawful for men to talk about. And he says, and because of this great revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, brothers and sisters, just be careful. This thorn in the flesh was not a little splinter in his finger. This was a two before stuck in his side, a fence post sharpened fence post, stuck into his side. And he was convinced that unless God removed it, he could not continue his ministry. He could not be, he could not be faithful. And he, he implored the Lord. He begged the Lord that the Lord would remove it. Did he remove it? No. Did God answer his prayer? Yes, but not the way Paul expected. What did our Lord Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. And through that experience, my brothers and sisters, he came to see something of our Lord Jesus Christ that had not been real to him to that point. That it didn't make any difference. Even if you go through all that list in 2 Corinthians 11, that catalog of experiences, 25 experiences he had, one of them would have caused all, most of us in this room to give up. And forget about being a steward. Oh, brothers and sisters. You remember what I'm talking about? Let's go there quickly, okay? 515? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now remember, 11 comes before 12, okay? Wonderful discovery, right? But you know, Paul's having to react to some, some things said about other people regarding himself. He's having to defend himself. He's have to speak like he's insane. He says, I speak as if insane. I, f I speak as being foolish. But listen to what he says. Are they Hebrews? It's verse 22, 2 Corinthians 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Listen to what he says. In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and the day I've, I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labors and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And then for him to still need some further experience, for him to discover the greatness of the grace of God. And for the Lord to have to say to him, my Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what he learned? We'll talk more about this later. You know what he learned? That when he's weak, that's when he's strong. Can I ask you a question? Have you learned that lesson yet? You see, it's not our weaknesses that create a problem for the Lord. You know what it is? It's our strengths, the things we can do in ourselves that are the real obstacle. And the Lord had full permission in this man's life to do what needed to be done so the job would be finished and he would be able to be qualified to fulfill the responsibility the Lord had planned for him in the age to come. And so the Lord had the freedom. You know what Paul says. <laughs> what was this thorn in the flesh? A messenger from Satan. Think about that. You mean to tell me that our Lord would allow Satan to attack one of his most precious stewards? Yes. As a matter of fact, it seems like, if you take Job's life as an example, that what happens is, God, uh, Satan sometimes ends up doing God's work and doesn't even realize he's doing it. But you see, if Paul had come into one of our meetings with this with this thorn in his flesh. We'd have had an all-night prayer meeting, casting out demons and all kinds of things. But brothers and sisters, please, 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 there are no coincidences in your life. You didn't marry the wrong person. I know some of you have had an experience. Many of us who are married have had times in our marriage when we were convinced I've made a great big mistake. <laughs> no, my brothers and sisters, if you will stay in that humble place, the Lord will take whatever we do, whatever foolish decisions we might make, and he will turn them for good. Now, brothers and sisters, we need very, very much to let the Holy Spirit who has been sent here on a mission to give us the revelation, the, under, the, the spiritual understanding that is necessary for us to be faithful stewards. But then you have to determine by the grace of God that you're going to be obedient to that vision. 
Whatever vision he gives you, you need to be willing to work it out in practical ways in your life. It's not enough just to come into the meeting and share some vision the Lord has given you. That's good. But don't stop there. Don't think that's the end. Brothers and sisters, it needs to be worked out in your everyday living. Educated. This is another thing that has to happen to become good stewards. Because spiritually speaking, we're still in kindergarten, for even in kindergarten. And so the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to be our own personal tutor, to, to educate us, to teach us how to be faithful, how to fulfill the responsibilities. And so Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, talks about learning Christ. Not learning about him, but learning Christ. And you remember in the verses that we read earlier, he wanted to know his Lord, that I may know him. He was willing to, to sacrifice, to count all things but loss. For the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus this is part of the education. It's for us to go, and young brother and sister, please don't disqualify yourself. Put yourself in that place where, as a bondservant, you allow the Holy Spirit to, to arrange your educational opportunities. Where you come to know him. That you gain Christ. That you learn Christ. And so we find Paul saying in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned. Oh, brothers, to me this is very precious. Because you sometimes think that those who have these kind of responsibilities in the body of Christ don't have to learn anything. They know it all. But brothers and sisters, I don't care how old or how advanced we may be, there's still a lot of learning to be done. And if you think you have arrived, you don't have nothing more to learn. You're in a very, very dangerous place. All you need to do is to read some of the examples in the scriptures. Some people at the end of their life having thought that they had learned it all. They jumped off a cliff and made a big mess of things. So Paul concludes in Philippians 4, I know, I know how. I know him. I know whom. I know how to enjoy God's provision, and I know how to do without any provision. I have learned. Now, how did he learn? Oh, I know. He went to a class called Learning How to Be Without Anything 101, right? No, my brothers and sisters. Go back to that list in 2 Corinthians 11 with hunger, sleepless nights, in other words, this school that we're being educated in is not in a classroom. The, whole, the blessed, blessed Holy Spirit takes your situation in your home with the people you have to live with day in, day out, your circumstances, whatever happens in your life, he wants to take it all and use it as a way of educating you so that you can come to know your beloved Lord in a fuller way. Now, 
you know, I've already said it, but brother, you know this doesn't mean just a mental accumulation of information. This comes by a real spiritual, personal knowing of your Lord. And there's no one needs to disqualify themselves. Isn't it so wonderful, brothers and sisters, that the Holy Spirit is prepared to take us right where we are with the people we're now living with, these impossible people that God has put in our life. How do you think you're going to learn how to love the way the Lord Jesus loves? Isn't this his commandment to us? John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you love one another. How are you going to learn that lesson? Huh? Read it in a book. Maybe even read John 13 a few times. No, my brothers and sisters. You know what God is going to do? He's going to bring unlovable people into your life. You, in your estimation, they're unlovable. And he doesn't excuse you. You can go to him and say, Lord, sorry, too hard. You, you sent the wrong one. No, all my brothers and sisters. If you don't learn to love that one, guess what? <laughs> yes. The next one will even be more difficult. <laughs> if you have made that initial decision to be his love slave and to love your brothers and sisters, then you need to, we need to see, not just you, I need to see and I need to be reminded every day of my life that the people that come into my life, God is giving me a responsibility to be a steward of his love. He's poured his love into my heart and now I have a responsibility to distribute that love to everybody who comes into my life. In Brazil, we, uh, in many of the houses, we have what we call a water box. Now, this is a big box. It has many uh, different sizes. And they put it on top of the house. And then they, the, the, the water comes either from a well or from the uh, city water. And they fill up this water box. And then you can use this water for the things you need in your house. But brothers and sisters, what I've been encouraging the brothers and sisters of Brazil to do is to see that their heart is like a water box. And, you know, there's a regulator on it. And if the, if the, if the, the level gets too low, guess what happens? It gets resupplied and gets filled up again. So I'm suggesting, brothers and sisters of Brazil, that they get a ladle and put it on the side of their belt and they carry it with them day after day after day. And so when somebody comes into their life that needs a little of God's, needs God's love, not just a little bit, you take the ladle and you put it in the water box and you pour it out on top of them. Brothers and sisters, is it clear to us this afternoon that this love of God that the scriptures talks about is an infinite, unchanging love? It's eternal You can have as much of it as you can contain. And this is what the Lord is educating us about, is how, when people come into our lives, that we take that measure of love and pour it out on them. And that brings me to my last point. Related. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how much of a burden this is in my heart. How we, as as good stewards 
of God need to learn how to have healthy relationships with one another. We have, I think we have done some very foolish things and it's allowed us to think in ways that has really hindered the work the Lord wants to do. For instance, most of us think about the church either in terms of a meeting or a building. We don't think about the fact that I am a member of the body of Christ when I'm not in a meeting. And somehow we, we think we can, dis, we can discharge our responsibility by going to the meeting, looking at the back, the, uh, the, the, the back of someone's head for an hour and a half and go home and that fulfills our responsibility. Brothers and sisters, we have got to let the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds about being members of the body of Christ and learning how to be related to one another. You know, if, if you've read Romans chapter 16, what you discover there is that there are 35 names of people that Paul mentions. Either he sends his greeting to them in Rome or... I mean, the opposite, he, he wants them to be greeted or he wants the people over there to be greeted. But in other words, the point is this. 35 names just in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. And then I went through others of his letter and you know what I discovered? 70 names. Names of people that Paul had a living relationship with. And some of them he called his beloved now, brothers and sisters, we don't become beloved brothers and sisters by coming to a meeting and looking at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half. You understand what I'm saying this afternoon, my brothers and sisters. Some of us need to get clear that we need to learn how to build relationships with one another outside of meetings and learn how to love one another in this kind of a context. Laying down your life relationships. By this do we know love. 1 John 3.16 That he laid down his life for us and we should be laying down our life for the brethren. You know what I think? And I could be a thousand percent wrong because I've been that way many, many times. But brothers and sisters, I believe that this matter of loving in this way is something as our brother Dana was talking about last night. When we see all of this stuff happening, it ought to be a time when we, uh, we regroup and we learn these lessons. If we've never learned it, then we begin to learn it. If we've begun to learn it, then we grow in this matter of our learning how to love, to have relationships with each other. Laying down our life relationships. And so, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, seems to me that he gives us a good example of what it means to become a faithful steward. Being faithful with what has been entrusted to him. And in this way, he becomes an encouragement. Let's remember, where did this man start out? Probably none of us started out where he started, kicking against the goats, trying to destroy the very work our Lord Jesus was doing. 
an enemy of the cross, an enemy of the work of Christ. And yet he was captured by what he saw. He was captured by the love that he experienced. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended. I press on. I press on. Forgetting what's behind. Looking forward. I press on. So brothers and sisters. Let's become devoted people. Who have the same motivation. Who allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. And see that every situation. Without exception. Oh, brothers and sisters, if things continue to happen the way they're happening here in the United States, we're going to have some wonderful opportunities to learn how great our God is. You're going to have to learn to trust him in a way you've never had to trust him before. You're going to have to find out for yourself what Paul says in Philippians 14. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches. But you see, very few of us know that but we're going to have opportunity. Please don't forget that if things continue to get more difficult, it's an opportunity for us to learn, to be educated, and then learn how to be related to one another and encourage one another. You know, there's many one another's in the New Testament, and we won't go into them today because time is already gone. But brothers and sisters, may I encourage us to ask the Lord to give us six people to start building good, strong, solid, laying down your life relationships with. It'll make a difference. We give each other the freedom to speak into each other's life. If you see something, and I say it to all of you here, if you see me doing anything or saying anything that is dishonoring to my Lord, you owe me, you are responsible to me to come and speak to me about it. Brothers and sisters, we need these kind of relationships. It's the provision of the Lord to keep the enemy from coming in on a, on a blind side and to have these kind of relationships with people that we trust, that we know they love us. And because they love us, they're willing to address any issue in our life. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, what a difference it would make. This is the way the world will know that you are my disciples, is if you have this kind of laying down your life love. God help us. God be merciful to us. I know it's in your heart for us all to become these kind of stewards, faithful with what God has placed in our hands. May God be merciful to us. Let's close the time with a few prayers from brothers and sisters.